Well, we're in the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 18. The part of Matthew chapter 18 that Matthew 18 is known for. If you've been around the church or been a Christian for a while, that's the passage we're in this morning. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two or... Th or if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your instruction. Even as you're instructing your disciples here, you're providing instruction that Matthew would later write down so that we could learn from it. In your word is life. Following your word, Lord, is, is the way to life. And so, Lord, I just pray that you give us understanding. Spirit, you've promised to illuminate your word to us. Lord, humble us before your word to receive it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew 18, we've been talking about sin. Matthew 18 is all about sin. It, it started out with looking at the proud and the humble, pride and humility. As the, as the disciples started us out with the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus turns it right upside down, saying the greatest in the kingdom is the least. It's the humble that are exalted. It's the proud that are brought down. And he goes in then to the seriousness of sin. And we, and we looked at our attitude towards sin and an arrogant attitude towards sin uh, really is where a lot of church discipline comes in when we compare that to what's going on in, later in the New Testament. When the church has an arrogance towards sin, it doesn't really matter that, that God then either by His Spirit bringing about discipline or through uh, the exhortation of Paul to bring about discipline or wh whatever means there was discipline to correct the heart of the church and to deal with arrogance towards sin. And that's what we saw in, in, and the seriousness of sin might require us to do hard things. And we had the hyperbole of Christ saying, if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because where does sin lead to? Death. And it, fundamentally, sin leads to hell. Do we take it that seriously? And so we teachings of Christ checked us in our attitude towards sin. And then, then we looked at our attitude towards a brother or sister who's sinning, right? That's the next step. I have a seriousness about sin. Well, what about when I see sin in my brother or sister and we saw Jesus teaching, starting with, first look, look at your own heart. Don't despise your brother or sister. I want you to know even that brother or sister who's sinning, who's wandering away, who's, who's 
going after the things of this world, I've assigned angels to all, the care of all my children. And they're not just any angels. They're the ones in the very presence of the Father who see the face of the Father. They're important to me. And just like a shepherd would leave the 99 to go after one, that's my heart towards every one of my children, my heart towards you. And so we saw our attitude towards a believer who's sinning needs to match the attitude of the Father towards his children, even when they're caught up in sin. And we looked at New Testament examples of, of that reflected, like in Galatians chapter 6, saying the same things. Go after them, restore them, and watch yourself. Don't, don't, don't judge yourself in comparison to them. That's what we want to do when we see our brother sinning. And don't do that. Don't despise them. Well, now the next question is here. Not just attitude towards sin, not just attitude to a brother or sister who's in sin, but now what about when that brother or sister sins against me, right? Suddenly takes on a whole new level, and that's what we're getting into here. This passage is one of those go-to passages, um, meaning throughout the history of the church, this has been a passage people go to to direct choices and, and, and um, theology and understanding of how the church should act and do things. And so it's been pulled and stretched and used in a lot of different ways, and, and there's no way I'm going to approach this passage without crossing lines with people that I really respect. My goal here is not to make much of my own, like I've figured out everything, but I want to know what God's Word says. What does it say? What is the extent of what it says? What is it not saying? And so I'm, there's going to be a couple times in here where I'm just going to have to speak to some of the things that it's been understood to mean that I don't see here. And the first thing here as we get into just the beginning of it in verse 15 is if your brother sins against you is how it starts, right? Well, right there already. Some versions of the Bible don't say that. They say if your brother sins. Not if your brother sins against you. Because in some Greek manuscripts it includes it and some it doesn't. Right? Well, that's a big difference. Am I talking about when a brother sins or when a brother sins against me? And I, I'm, I'm confident in my own study that it's talking about when a brother sins against me. And I have that, whether that, that uh, phrase says it or not, the whole context shows that. And, and one thing, we've already looked at our attitude towards a brother who sins. Um, but, but this whole passage is actually directed towards an individual. That's one thing that I'm looking at here as evidence of what, what is Jesus talking about. And it's hard for us to see. I'll be pointing this out later. When it says you, the English doesn't differentiate between you plural and you singular. And there's differences in here that are important to look at. I might use y'all. If we had a Texas version of the Bible, it would be much more helpful. So everywhere it was plural. In the Spanish service, it's a lot easier. It's very clear what's singular and what's plural. But this is speaking to an individual, and, and what is to be gained is, is to gain a brother back. See, these are things that, that happen when there's conflict between two, right? 
And, and, and one of the biggest things that I see here is how Peter understands it. See, this passage is, goes right in. This is actually connected to the very end of chapter 18. But we see, um, if I go all the way down uh, to verse 21, then Peter came up. This is following. This is connected to. This is part of the discourse on if your brother sins against you, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? There's no question about that in the text. And I forgive him. There's an implicit understanding of forgiveness throughout this. I can't forgive something that wasn't done against me. That's actually one of the problems in conflict. When we take offense for someone else, I, I'm not in the position to forgive that. I, there's no reconciliation. That's, it's a difficult reconciliation because it's not offense against me. Only God can forgive all sin. I'm in the position to forgive sin against me. And so there's more to this. If you, if you wanted to study deeper into it, compare against Luke chapter 17. The first four verses of Luke 17 is like uh, a cliff notes, a short version of the whole chapter 18 in Matthew. You're thinking, boy, if we could have just gone there, it would have saved a lot of time. Four verses cover all this material. But it's a, it's a short version, and it connects together. This is talking about a situation that requires forgiveness. And we're not talking about forgiveness this morning. That'll be next week. But this is certainly the situation when a brother or sister sins against me. What is an example of that? What, what kind of conflict can arise between people? It's talking about all conflict, right? How many ways can you, or how many reasons can you go to court to sue somebody in our country? A lot of things you can sue for. Those are, those are offenses against you, right? Um, sue for damages. What constitutes damages? Oh my goodness, there's so many different things. Damage to my property, right? Um, physical injury. You hurt me physically, and so now I can sue for damages. Emotional distress. What you did caused a change in my life, right? The, the quality of my life has changed. There's emotional distress, and you can sue for those things. Maybe you had an agreement, a contract, Right? And they didn't uphold their end of it. I can sue for that. that. That's an offense against me. You made a promise and you didn't follow through. Um, there's liability, right? Someone borrows your car and your car's brakes go out and there's an accident. Who's? Well, certainly that, there's a fence there. I mean, you sue for those things, right? Property, um, uh, protecting your property. Someone builds their fence on, on your side of the property line, right? Or, or a shed that kind of comes onto your property. They're encroaching on your property. You sue for that. It's an offense against you. Um, slander, libel, right? Someone speaks uh, untrue things or writes untrue things about you, and, and you can sue for defamation. Even things that wouldn't be accepted into the courts are still offenses. They might, might not even be intentional. Right? Something could be taken wrong, a look, a response 
They didn't realize you just had bad tacos that morning, and they thought, well, what is it? But it's, it's an offense, right? It, 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 then they're going home. What did he think? What, why did he look that way when I said that? And, right? It's, some offenses are real. Some are just perceived. Just the tone of our voice. Even not doing something. Neglect. You haven't called in so much time, right? It can be an offense. When we go to sue, when we go to court... What are we looking for? Reparation, right? We're, we're looking for compensation for the hurt. Justice, fairness. You hurt me, now you owe me. And that's, that's what we live in. That, that's the world we live in. We would advise other people, oh, you, you need to go sue them for that. They hurt you, right? We think we're being the helpful friend. We live in a new kingdom now. You believe in Jesus Christ, you're part of a new people, a new way. What is the way of the kingdom? What's being sought after? <laughs> Do you see it here? Oh, the glory of God that this is what's being sought after. There's almost more being said here by what's not being said. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, what? You get compensated? No. You've gained your brother. What was lost was fellowship with your brother. And here's the first point. When we're resolving conflict in the kingdom, my greatest loss is you. You have offended me. You have hurt me. You have done something that now is an offense that stands between us relationally and, and compared to all of those other things, real hurt, real damage. The greatest loss that I have is none of those things. It's you. Here's the difference in the kingdom. Do you see it? This follows out of the heart of God towards his children, towards sinners, right? Precious in his sight. He, even as we offend him with our sin, our, he, he still says, no, you're precious to me. And as brother or sister offends me, I need to ask, what am I seeking? If I'm going to go to them, one-on-one -on -one first. What am I looking for? Is my heart set right? Is the most important thing in my heart that I gain back my relationship with them? If it's not, I'm not ready to go talk to them yet. This is the way of the kingdom. This is an, a person I'm going to enjoy fellowship with eternally, and now that's been broken by their offense against me. I want to restore that fellowship. Have you guys lost, had a, had a great relationship with somebody, and then something comes along, and even they're the one that did it, and you have had real loss? Have you recognized that that's a loss? The loss of that fellowship you had with them is so much greater than, than any of the damage done. 
And in our flesh and in the old way and the way that we used to live, we would, we would hold on to all of the hurt. We would hold on to, to all of that. That's actually, even for us, a, a sense of protection because if they ever came after me with things that I did, I have, I have that. I can, I can use that to defend myself. But look what you did, right? Completely blind to the fact that I have lost the most important thing there, which is my relationship. And in the kingdom, in the new way, when an offense comes up, whether it's real, just perceived offense, a misunderstanding, whatever it is, you recognize something's there and things aren't the way they used to be. Something stands between us. You know, when we Let that person be the most important thing lost to us. We're just following Jesus' example. What did Jesus do? What stood between us and God? Our offense, right? We were enemies of God. We had sinned against God, a greater offense than any of us can imagine. To a holy God, we had sinned against Him. And here we are, the the offenders. And what does He do? He goes... And pays for our sin. He, he, what's most important, the offense to him or the offender? No, his child, his sheep. Right? Even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And when we take that same action and someone has sinned against us, someone has hurt us, and we put aside the hurt, and we're willing to pay the cost of the hurt... And we say the most important thing is you and I want to restore fellowship with you. And that's the reason that we go and say we need to, there's hurt here. We need to recognize this. Why do we recognize it? Not so that I can be compensated. Now the brother or sister, when they realize it, if they listen and they actually hear what you're saying, they're probably going to want to try to make things right. They're probably going to want to do what they can. They might not be able to do anything. Who knows? And see how there's already an implicit understanding of forgiveness that has to go into this. But Christ loved us even while we were enemies, even while we were offending Him. He provided forgiveness at His own cost for our sin. And when we do that, we're following Jesus' example This is possibly one of the most important things for us relationally to get through our heads. Offenses stand in the way of our relationship. Marriages, how often do we offend each other? All the time. I think just this last week I offended my wife. I'm trying to figure out what is it, so I apologize for something. It was the wrong thing, but she let me know what the right thing was. No, this is what you were doing. Okay, I could tell there was something. We offend each other all the time. Do we let the offense just stay there? Way too often. Sometimes when you're going to, to, to talk to somebody about, here's how you offended me, I'd like to get this out of the way. 
so it's no longer between us, you'll realize there's stuff going the other way too, right? It goes both ways because you've been letting things pile up. In our marriages, here's something really good you can do. Is there a day of the week that you have to take out the trash? Yes. There's a lot of trash in our relationship. Maybe just schedule one night of the week, one time when you all can be away from the kids and just say, hey, I love you. Is there anything I've done that's been offensive to you? Something I said. It doesn't matter how big, right? It's standing in the midst of your relationship. And here's the second point, because we can be on both sides of this. Verse 15, we will get past verse 15, past this, I, I promise, but not yet. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you realize you're going to be on both sides of this. Are you ready to listen? In the kingdom, we need to be ready to listen. That's the second point. And it's helpful if you schedule a time, you set up an intentional time to say, all right, how have I offended you? Because what are you doing there? You've prepared yourself mentally to listen to what they say. Set yourself up for success, right? What's important is them. They might say, there's this thing that you did that hurt me, and, and your immediate response is going to be, well, I didn't mean that, or, Right? And you might say, well, if I did that, then I'm sorry. No, it doesn't work that way. They're the ones who've been offended. They get to, to give the list. Here's how I was offended, whether it's real or not, perceived, whatever. doesn't matter. They perceived that your action caused them hurt. And so what's the, the best response? Because what you want, you don't, Jesus took our sin on himself. You don't need to protect your pride. You don't need to protect uh, how righteous you are. Jesus didn't. When he was accused for us, he didn't say a word. You're not there listening, getting ready to defend yourself. Accept what they say. And the only good response in order to restore that fellowship is to say, I am sorry that when I did this, maybe you didn't even do it, but they, they saw you do it. To them, it's very real that you did that. So own it. I am very sorry that when I did this, it caused you to feel that. That's the response. And everything within our flesh wants to defend ourselves. So it wants to say, well, well I, I, you know, I have excuses for acting that way. I, no. Why? Because this isn't about my pride or, or you know, I'm going to go right back to the beginning of this. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the better Christian? No, that's not what this is about. The kingdom of heaven, those who are humble are exalted. Those who are willing to just take it because what they care about is not their own pride of, of how, what people think of them, but what they care about is you. And to allow the offense to be spoken and received and then put away. I am sorry that when I did that, I hurt you. It's gone. The power of that offense has been 
destroyed. And what are you restoring? The most important thing. Fellowship. We need to be ready to listen. Even the things we didn't do. Jesus did. Following his example. All right. Third thing. Conflict resolution in the kingdom. We need to be willing to take all the steps. What are the steps? We're given three steps here. Why are the steps important? Because we want to restore fellowship. Some of you are not good with conflict, confrontation. It can be very difficult to take even one step. But what's most important is the relationship we have, the fellowship we have. So here's the steps. And don't skip. Sometimes we want to skip. Start talking to other people before we talk to the person. The first step is to go to him alone. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So much can be resolved. So much little stuff can be done with. So many things. Just like, hey, man, when I said that, it, you seemed upset by it. Are we good? What, did I say something wrong? Oh, no, no, no. That was something else. Uh, we're good. All right. Go overboard. Make sure there's nothing between us. It's like, yeah, actually, there was something. When you said that, that was really hurtful because, oh, I'm sorry when I said that. I made you feel that. It's gone. My relationship, it, it, we, we need to work at that, but one-on-one, -on -one, a lot can be dealt with right there. Especially if, if your brothers and sisters in Christ want, if you all value that, then you're not trying to defend yourself. There is no reason to continue past that because your relationship is the most important thing. Verse 16, but if he does not listen... Do I just end there? No. He's too important for this, right? Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This, is, this goes all the way back to Old Testament. This is God's wisdom. And hey, if, if you can't find another person to agree with you on the offense, maybe you need to question your heart to begin with, right? But, but, but this is like legal proceedings, right? You, if you're going to make an accusation, say, no, things aren't right, that they did this wrong, and, and we, I want this to be restored and right, it's not just on your word. Bring someone along. And so that's step two. Take one or two others along with you. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the third step is to go to the church. First individually, then with one or two others, and then to the church. What's the purpose? To gain back the brother. Right? This is why. To do everything you can to gain back this brother. There's an offense that stands between you. 
go and tell him. Let's look real quick at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 25. This is the new way. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're members together. You know the picture of the body of Christ? Hands, feet, elbows, mentionable areas, unmentionable areas. It's all there, right? We need every part of the body. What happens when I go to the dentist and I'm coming and then I go to eat something too early and my tongue is not telling me that my teeth are hurting the tongue? Speak up, tongue. No, I don't want to hurt the teeth's feelings. No, teeth need to know. They're chomping down on the tongue. And when you tell the teeth, hey, you're hurting the tongue, you're not, you're not saying, oh, we don't need the teeth anymore. The teeth are bad. No. You're trying to get things working right again. And, that, and, and, and that's what it is among us. We can speak the truth now. We are one body. And to let an offense go unspoken is, is damaging to the body. We're not functioning anymore. Our relationship is, is hurting for it. The body's hurting for it. So speak the truth, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 26, be angry. Yeah, that hurt teeth. Tongue is angry. But nothing's telling the brain that there's hurt, right? Be angry and do not sin. When there's an offense, we will get angry. But what we do with that... It's important. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Respond to it quickly, right? Why is this important? Here's the next thing. And give no opportunity to the devil. Boy, how the devil loves to make a mess when we just say, ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Ah, no, I, I'm, I'm forgiving them, right? Absolutely, forgiveness is behind the scenes, is implicitly throughout all of this. But it's not enough to just say, oh, I forgive them, and, and, and they have no idea that they offended you, or to the extent that they hurt you. No. You go to them so that the offense can be removed, and full relationship is restored. Otherwise, they might be going, why is this person not talking to me as much? Why is this, something's lacking here. I don't know what it is and I don't know what's broken, right? Don't even let the sun go down on your anger. Be willing to take the steps. Be willing to speak and to tell of the offense. Well, in the three steps, the ultimate step is to tell the church. And here's the, here's the, the next point. Recognizing the church. This is spoken to a Jewish audience. We're talking about things that could be grounds for a suit, right? This, this could be any of the above that we've talked about that we sue each other for. 
Notice what's missing here. He doesn't say, ultimately, take it to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is, it would have been like the supreme court of the Jews. They, there was Roman rule over everything, um, but, but the Romans let the Jews kind of rule themselves. And so the Sanhedrin was given power by Rome to, to make judgments. All the way up to, they weren't supposed to give, they couldn't uh, pronounce a death sentence. Which later, I think in the, the case of Stephen, they even kind of did that. But the Sanhedrin, like that, that's where you would take it ultimately, right? And we, we would say, well, no, they did that to you. You, you take them to court, Right? The ultimate authority in, in, in our view normally is the authorities around us, the governing authorities, the Sanhedrin, if not the Sanhedrin, the Roman governor of that province, or even further than that. Remember, Paul appealed to Caesar. That was the ultimate Roman authority. None of that's here. What's the ultimate appeal within the kingdom? that Jesus has set up while we still deal with sin because this is a temporary thing, folks, praise the Lord. We're not going to deal with sin forever within the kingdom. The church. That's the ultimate appeal. Do you see the role of the church? Now, this passage has been used for a lot of things. Um, by saying, tell it to the church, uh, that's often understood. And, and, and I have to tell you, as I've dug into this passage, it has shaped my own thinking. There's a lot of things I've assumed about this passage without digging into it. Am I telling it to every person in the church? I'm the church. Okay, so it's the church. So gather everybody who's a part of this church and we're going to tell it to them. Is that... Is that what it means? That's what it's taken to mean many times, in many places. That's how I kind of understood it at first. But, and, and if you understand it that way, this passage is used to say, well, then church government needs to be congregationally run. Because look, the church as a whole is the authority, right? But what is Jesus saying here? He's just beginning to speak about his church. When Peter confessed him as Lord, he said, on this rock I will build my church. You're just first beginning to see, oh, there's this church, this idea of a church. And here now the church is this entity that's being looked to as the ultimate appeal. I want to restore my brother. He's not listening to anyone. The ultimate appeal is to the church to be the one he will listen to. Jesus is not laying out church government structure, roles. That will happen. We see it happen. Gifts given to different individuals for different roles within the church. The church operates together as a body. If I was to say, let's take this to the Sanhedrin, well, I would understand that there are those operating within the Sanhedrin that have authority, that are spokespeople, that are the ones that would speak on behalf of the Sanhedrin. And then there would be those within the Sanhedrin that would help in the process. If I was to say, let's go ask Fellowship Church something, implicitly I'm suggesting I'm talking to the leadership first of, of Fellowship Church, right? The ones representing Fellowship Church. I'm not making a statement about, well, the whole church is... is I don't think, I think it's too much here to say Jesus is saying the whole church 
every person who's a part of the body of the church is now functioning in this manner. He's just looking to the entity that is the church. And, and that's supported by what we see later in Scripture. How are churches established? What are the roles within the church? And then we see an example of this actually right away within the church. A conflict arises. Not everyone's getting the distribution of the meals, right? There was thousands of people in the church. Did they gather up the thousands of people in the church to make an appeal? No. That's not what he's suggesting here. What they did is that the first understanding is the disciples would be the ones to respond, representing the church. But they needed to be given to prayer and, and to teaching. And so what did they find? They found qualified men within the church to respond to it. That's the church responding. And so that final appeal is it, you've gone to an individual. They're not listening. You've taken another, a buddy or two, said, come on. The, this thing happened. We need to get this over with. I'd, I want my brother back. I want my sister back. I really don't want to do this confrontation, but they're more important, so let's do this. And then they're still not listening. All right, go to the leadership of the church. What are they going to do with it? Well, there's God-given authority within the church to decide what it can often, will often be complicated, messy things. Is conflict ever straightforward? No. No. Is it ever one-sided? Almost never, right? There's discernment. There's wisdom. It might involve more. It might involve church discipline. It might reflect a heart of arrogance towards sin in the church. What has God given us? He's given us the authority of the church to appeal to. And so when we read, continuing, so verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, which might look like a, a bunch of different things, let him be to you. This is an important place. Let him be to you singular. This is often used to suggest expelling someone from the church. Let him be to you, church. No. Let him be to you, the individual who's trying to restore fellowship with a brother. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It's not instruction to the church. But then what he continues on is, is to show the authority of the church and the presence of Christ in the church. Because when we're going to the church, we're going to Christ. A church that's submitted and humble and, and, and gathered in the name of Christ is going to reflect the wisdom and decisions and discernment of Christ. And that's what we're appealing to. Not people, but to Christ. So he says, Truly I say to you, verse 18, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's an agreement between heaven and earth and the decisions made. 
And this is plural. When he said this to Peter, on, on, on this rock I'll build my church, it was singular. But here it's plural, talking to his disciples, talking to the church. Whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's an agreement. Again, I say to you, if two of you, y'all agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Agreement in Christ. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The presence of Christ, the authority of Christ, the agreement of heaven within his body. He's still not giving us structure of the church, right? The governance of the church or anything. No, he's just saying, my church, when they're gathered together in my name, what, what does it mean to be gathered in his name? Not in the name of Hope Church, not in the name of David, not in the name of an agenda or any purpose that we have. No, in his name, in his purpose, in, in, in his will, according to what he wants, submitted, humbled before Christ as a body, his church, not our church, his church. Does that mean that the... the Individually, alone, I don't have the presence of Christ. No, you do have the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit within you, providing wisdom, providing guidance. But there is something unique and special about His church, the gathering of His body, His believers together in unity in His name has an authority in this world. That's the authority of Christ. It's greater than Sanhedrin's, than Caesar, right? There is no other appeal to make. It's his church. Now, if we're not in unity, if we're not in his name, things go badly. The presence of Christ is, is not manifests through that, right? Our own selfish agendas get in there. If, if, if John or I tries to pastor for personal gain of, of people looking at us a certain way or to try to make money, you know, I'm not submitting to Christ. It's not in His name for His purpose, right? It's a dangerous thing. But when His body is gathered in His name, in unity, agreement. When two, when two agree, that, that's, a, that's a heart agreement in Christ. Then it's going to be done. All right? That prayer is answered. Why? Because it's the will of Christ. It's not them asking. It's, it's Christ in them petitioning for a result. So as we're resolving conflict in the kingdom we need to recognize the church, its place, its authority, its resource. I'm looking for answers. Where do I ultimately go? Well, take that one to court. No. Paul got after the Corinthians. You're suing each other. It'd be better that you'd be taken advantage of. Y'all are princes and princesses, co-heirs with Christ, part of a kingdom that's greater than this world. And you're going to the authorities of this world to resolve conflict.
What if he still doesn't listen? I've gone to the church. There is no... And in, in, in effect, I've appealed to God. This is, this is God's instrument of his will here on earth. Hands and feet of Christ, his church. So now I've gone to Christ with it. He's not listening. Back in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You, singular. You, brother, sister. You have taken all the steps. What does it mean, let him be to you as a Gentile? Tax. This is a Jewish audience. Jews don't have fellowship with Gentiles, tax collectors. I think it's ironic that Matthew is a tax collector. He's writing this. This is in contrast to what's being sought for. At the very beginning, if he listens to you, you have gained back your brother. But you haven't gained back your brother. You haven't restored the fellowship with your brother or sister. They already are to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Here's how I understand this. The instruction in the Greek is not to the offensive, the offensive brother. It's not to the church. It is to the one seeking to get back their brother. And he's saying, let them be. You've done the steps. What do we want to do? We want to take it further. We, we want to start resolving to, well then, you better pay up. <laughs> right? This way didn't work. Well, at least I better get something out of it. Fair is fair. No. There's still forgiveness in this step. Let them be. That may be one of the hardest things. What am I doing in that though? Am I giving up on them? No, I don't think so. But I'm trusting them into God's hands. Let them be. And here's the last point. In conflict, resolution in the kingdom, there must be resting in the Lord. And I put it that way because that's ultimately, if I, if I take it theologically and experientially and everything that goes with this, this is, this is what we need to do. We've followed God's instruction. We've been obedient to what he wants us to do. We've set our heart right that it's not, not out of trying to gain fairness or, 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 or to get compensation for loss but our heart has been to gain back the brother and we've done the steps that God has given us and they still refuse to listen rest in the Lord let them be to you not how you want now, now Gentiles and tax collectors do I not do things with them do I not sure I'm 
I'm sharing Christ with Gentiles and tax collectors, right? Jesus hung out with Gentiles and tax collectors. When he hung out with Matthew, it was with a whole bunch of other tax collectors and sinners, is what he said, right? But did Jesus have fellowship with people whose hearts were not turning to him, whose hearts were not repentant, whose hearts were hard? No, there's a broken fellowship. You can't have, light doesn't have fellowship with darkness, and that's kind of what you're stuck in here. I don't think this is a passage of church discipline. Instructions not to the church. The church is certainly here. The authority of church is here. The role of the church in the process. What the church might do here could be any number of things. And we're, we're given that the church is an authority. It's an ultimate authority. It's an ultimate appeal. And it might be different in every case. But that's not the point here. The point is that you went to the church as the ultimate authority. But even if they won't listen, even to the church, then let them be to you as they are, as a Gentile tax collector. The fellowship is broken. I want to end in Romans 12. Verse 17, we just need to understand the will of our Lord. We will deal with conflict, church. I just told you, my marriage, this last week, when you're doing a sermon on reconciling, you better believe you're going to get tested on it during the week, right? It happens. This is going to happen all the time. How do we live the abundant life knit together as a church together. We have to be able to, we have to be able to deal with this. How do we do this in our marriage? We have to be able to deal with this. This is something we've got to continue to grow in and do better at. But then just understand how Jesus wants us to, to act. Um, Romans 12, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. That's, that's been throughout this passage. It's not, it hasn't even been brought up, but it's, it's just not there, right? Forgiveness is implicitly behind this. Repay no one evil for evil, even if that's what we want to do. They hurt me, I hurt them back. Just, that needs to be gone. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, right? The church. What is the right thing to do? Transparently, visibly, to see my actions. What is the right thing to do? In verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There, you've taken the steps. You've done what's possible. As much as it depends on you, you have done it. We all need to have that mindset. What is the obedient right thing before the Lord that I can do? I've taken the steps. I've set my heart. What I want most is restoration. I've gone to them individually. I haven't talked about the conflict to other people first. I've gone to them individually first. And then I've just brought a, you know, one or two with me. They're, they're not listening. And this is important. And, and, the, and that meeting has been all about, we love you. 
And, and we want this to be gone. And, and even when that didn't work, it's okay, I'm going to go talk to the pastors or I'm going to talk to leaders in the church. And whatever needed to happen there in the wisdom of Christ, hopefully they are submitted to Christ and in unity with Christ, uh, following the wisdom of God in prayer. And, and however they respond, they respond speaking to this person still with the same appeal. Let's let this be gone. Right? And if they don't listen there, don't take it further. Forgiveness is, is, is implicit here, and we'll talk about that next week. It's an important part of this. Beloved, verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Don't take it further. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here's a place of rest. Oh, church, it's a place of rest. You do not be, need to be your own vindicator. That vengeance will be paid one way or another. It may be paid on the cross. It may have already been paid. If this truly is a brother or sister in Christ, the vengeance, Jesus already took it. But we don't have to vindicate ourselves. He is the one to do that. And you can rest in that. We can leave it. As much as it depends on me, I've taken the steps. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm doing the thing that's maybe not comfortable. Lord, help me with my heart. And then trust and rest in him. And when we do that, church, we're rare. If, we're, if this is the heart of our body, of our church, we're not going to get to level three, hardly ever. And usually we don't go there because we don't see the church as, as Christ's instrument. But let's take the steps as we need them. Often taking that first step. And I can't stress enough, husbands and wives, schedule a time to take out the trash. <laughs> right? Once a week is minimum. Otherwise it really piles up, doesn't it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your wisdom. Lord, it is our desire to walk in your ways. Lord, we want to enjoy the life that comes as a result of obedience to you, of taking the provision and direction and counsel of your word. Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, when it's difficult, when it's the hard thing to do, and Lord, we will not do any of it perfectly. We can't, and you knew that. But your Spirit is there guiding us, convicting us. Help us, Lord, to be a people submitting to you. And even as we mess up, to then confess to you and to each other to say, I messed up but to continue to seek the grace and restoration that only comes in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Lord, in this world, we, we just take relationships and we write them off. We don't know how to, how to fix them, how to mend them. We can't. But in you, Lord, everything has changed. It's a new way. It's, a, it's full of grace. It's full of your forgiveness. It's full of everything that you provided through the cross. 
We want to walk in that. Give us, Lord, understanding as a church, understanding as individuals, in relationships with one another, in, in marriages. Lord, I lift up our marriages. Boy, this, we know this is a spiritual battle in the sand, and the enemy loves to attack marriages. Lord, protect our marriages. Even now, if there's something that's, that's just been there stirring, maybe there's more than one thing, Lord, I just pray you, you give grace to husband and wife to be able to talk through those things, to be able to forgive each other, to be able to, to own everything that can be owned so that it can be set aside. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the life that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. When this life is overwhelming me And I feel like giving up I will cling to all you promised It will always be enough When the world around me crumbles And it's hard to understand I will run to you, my shelter. I am safe within your hands. Oh, you are my help forever. And I will not fear. God, you are with me. And I know that you're near and you'll never leave me. I will trust in you alone When I'm broken into silence I can hear you whispering You're not alone here in these trials I will hold you faithfully
Oh, you are a fortress for the weak The strength that carries me When I am on my knees Oh, the cross reminds my heart to trust Your faithfulness and love Will always be enough and I will not fear God, you are with me And I know that you're near And you'll never leave me I will trust in you alone And when my heart and strength and failed me my God, you won't, cause your name is mighty. I will trust in you alone. I will trust in you alone. I will trust in you alone. Lord Jesus, we will trust in you alone. And when we follow your ways, that's what we're doing. Not trusting in our own wisdom, not trusting in the wisdom of this world where we'd be taking each other to court, seeking justice. But Lord, trusting all that into your hands and instead seeking our brother and sister. What a beautiful thing you have created, God. We want to live in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, church. Hey, if there is a brother or sister that you need to talk to, can I encourage you to talk to them? Get it out of the way. Um, it's a good and blessed thing. You'll be thankful for it later, even if it's difficult to do. All right. <laughs>